and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. And that's right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Best Seat in the House podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rob Kramer, joined by my co-host, Daniel Bobo Curlin. And Dan, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm feeling good, good after feeling the Mets. I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good, good, good after the Mets just got a couple of wins in a row. Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, we had a... Uh, you know, pretty nice weekend compared to how uh, June went, or most of June went at least, as the Mets fell on their face to a 7-19 and 19 June, one of the uh, worst Junes we've seen in a few years. But uh, before we get into all that, because we got a couple of things to get into, we got some Yankees, we got some uh, Mets, we got some uh, Rangers, we got a whole bunch of stuff to get into. Uh, how was your fourth, Dan? You have a good fourth? You and the family? How is Mr. Maloonigan's doing? He was doing good. I kind of had to put the radio in the living room, kind of, kind of loud enough to drown out the noise of the fireworks for Mr. Balloon again. But it was, but he, he was he made, he made it through another Fourth of July, and of course there was a couple of grilling in the backyard. So can't complain about that. Couple of grilling, couple of beers, maybe me me a little bit yelling at the TV during the last couple of innings of that Mets game because it's like freaking they have to give me a near heart attack again. <laughs> they, yeah, they, typical they Mets. And, and late, and uh, I, it's pretty much me quoting that scene. And remember, Major League Two, that one, the winning streak has been done before, it can be done again. <laughs> yup, yup, it's true, man. You know, so uh, yeah, I agree that, uh, you know, fun, fun weekend, fun Fourth of July. My dog got through it too. One, one more in the back pocket. You know, it's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough day for uh, for, for our dogs. Uh, so you know, just everybody, give your dog an extra scratch in the head this time of year because they uh, they need it. And um, yeah, man, I mean, uh, definitely seeing some signs of life out of our Mets. Um, you know, but one thing I did want to get into because I'm sure we'll go through it relatively quick, but um, I wanted to save the Mets for the back burner of the second half of the opening of our show this week. Because we saw some history over the last week, man. I mean, it's it's a week old now because it happened the, uh, the last time that we recorded our show. And it was a late night game out in Oakland. But, you know, what did you think of the whole situation unfolding with the Yankees and Domingo Herman, who had just gotten lit up three innings, ten runs in his previous start? going out and pitching the 24th perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball, the first since 2012. What was your thoughts about that, Dan? That was a little bit unexpected. Then again, you may have saw a George Costanza meme I sent you saying, you know, the using a, using a classic scene from Seinfeld, only only this they're applying the game pretty much. This. 
the main goal, the main pitched the perfect game, and the, the, the mean the Georgia Tech lead against the Oakland A's. <laughs> yeah, with that with that classic George Costanza face on when in the show he says, "Yeah, in six games." <laughs> but yeah, against the Oakland A's, I that was a very funny meme, and uh, you know, to a certain extent, true, but also funny. But you have to. Look, Major League team, you have to give credit to Domingo Herman uh, as a guy that's had a very up-and-down career. Um, you know, the, the Yankees have have, have um, really put a lot of faith in him at times. He's let them down, especially with his off-the-field nonsense uh, with the, uh, you know, his uh, – with all the, uh, the arrests and, and – and, um, well, um, at, at least one major arrest where he got into the uh, – uh, conflict with his spouse. So you uh, really hope that maybe he's turned the corner and maybe he's starting to turn into the pitcher that a lot of people expected him to be. Uh, because I don't know if a lot of people thought that he had that kind of stuff, but man, I'll tell you this much. Kyle Higashioka, the uh, Yankees catcher who caught that perfect game, was saying that, you know, you can never predict or call a. Um, a perfect game or a no hitter even, but he was saying that if he had to make the call or, or try to, to predict this beforehand, he said, Herman is one of the names he would have said because of the stuff the guy has. And we, we saw that front row center last Wednesday, man. I mean, he had that curveball breaking uh, and he was just mowing through these, uh, through this lineup, throwing a perfect game in less than a hundred pitches. So to, to do that, you really have to uh, be in a groove and have everything working and also have your defense not let you down. There was a couple of times where I saw a hard ground ball to third base or shortstop, and I was wondering if uh, Volpe or, uh, you know, um, Donaldson was going to be able to come up with it, and uh, they did, man. So, uh, you know, regardless of the fact that I've seen enough Yankee perfect games in my lifetime, this already being the third one, behind David Wells and uh, and David Cohn. But, um, you know, of of these perfect games, because me and you have been alive for all of them, the only one we, that we didn't see was the Don Larson perfect game in 1956, the World Series against Brooklyn. But, you know, Dan, what would be your – what was your favorite? I know, obviously, we, we've got our couple of no-hitters. Uh, we don't have a perfect game for the Mets. But – you know, we're old enough now. Looking back on these perfect games, what was your favorite perfect game of these three? David Wells, David Cohn, and Domingo Herman. All I have to say, kind of partial to David Cohn, got a lot of respect for the guy. I mean, a great I mean a great pitcher overcame I mean overcame some health issues and he ended up uh, having a nice nice little career for himself and uh Maybe it could end up having a couple of World Series rings, and unfortunately not with us. But he he did he did have he did have a nice little career for himself. So it's a, I I kind of had to tip my tip my hat to that when I heard when I heard on a that that he had pitched the perfect game at that time. Also, I have to give a lot of big honorable mention to David Wells, who allegedly I. I actually read this book when it came out. His, his book uh, it was mentioned on the fan. I I actually borrowed a copy of this book for the library and read this. He back back then 
he pitched allegedly a perfect game, completely hammered. Allegedly. <laughs> he admitted he, he claimed he was completely hammered when he pitched that perfect game. Well, he said he had the hangover, right? Yeah, something like that. I forgot what it was. Yeah. It's been, it's been a while since I read that book, but I I, I read that book and <laughs> I mean, I can't believe he actually fits a perfect game with a hangover. Jeez. So, so, so funny, man. Yeah, And, you know, it's funny you say that, too, because I've read that book, too. And just, you know, reading him talk about how in his bullpen before the game with Joe Girardi, I, I'm pretty sure it was Girardi, uh, he was talking about how he had nothing on that bullpen. He thought that he was going to go out there and lay a big egg. And he goes out there and throws a uh, you know a perfect game. Just uh, it just goes to show, uh, you know what happens with baseball sometimes too. I was actually just reading, <clears throat> I was actually just reading Kurt Schilling talking about how he had one of the the best bullpens of his career, and then went out there and got rocked. And you know it just goes to show you that sometimes it doesn't matter what a pitcher has in his in his bullpen session everything changes when they get on the mound, right? Yeah, it's just a whole different thing. A bullpen session is not really much of a good, uh, I guess, a good gauge of it because it's just so different when you're in a game with everything on the line, especially if you're playing for a team that's in contention. The stakes are just even higher than when you're, yep. especially with that, than if you're in a team that isn't in contention. When you're, you're a team that's in contention, and you're at a fan base that, that I mean, a team that just has a lot of high expectations. The stakes are a lot different. No doubt about it, man. You're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, uh, talking about a team where the stakes are always high, we'll just wrap up with the Yankees here real quick. Uh, obviously, Judge and Garrett Cole have been named as the uh, Yankees All-Stars. So congratulations to them. Judge was uh, voted an all-star by the uh, the uh, starting all-star by the fans. Unfortunately for them and for him, he's not going to be ready in time for the all-star game. So you figure Aaron Judge is still probably a few weeks away. And Garrett Cole is going to be on the roster, but he's not a starter. So um, that's another thing to keep your eye on with the Yankees. And just to wrap up with them real quick, uh, the Yankees try to take the series tonight from the O's. At Yankee Stadium, Yankees have won the first two of that series. Uh, you know, definitely people a couple weeks ago have been looking at this series as a big bar for the Yankees, also a big bar for the Orioles to see that how they hold up against one of the uh, better teams in the American League. So what have you thought of these first two games, Dan, as uh, a really, really tight game uh, was ended and, uh, you know, by a Harrison Bader on um, Monday night. Then yesterday, the Yankees kind of smacked the uh, the Orioles around 8-3 a little bit. Uh, what do you think, Dan? Do you think that the Orioles are in the same league as the Yankees, or are they still trying to play catch-up a little bit and the Yankees are still the uh, big man on campus? Baltimore looks like they're kind of trying to play catch-up, but they're a formidable opponent. This is not – they've kind of – they're not. They're not at the. They're no longer like an, any a walk in the park kind of team. 
So, so they're they're they're, they're good. They're they're gonna be a tough opponent. They just came up short last year. They're 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 trying to one up what they did last year. So it's it's. I expect a close game than what what a lot of Yankee fans would normally be used to when they're playing against the Orioles. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Orioles uh definitely are not that pushover team anymore. Uh, Adley Rushman, their uh, catcher, who has been one of the uh, you know nice stories of the season, as he has played up to his billing from uh, being the number one prospect for them and uh, one of the more higher prospects in baseball. Um, you have to give credit to them for uh, for rebuilding that team, and you have to um, you know look at that as you know that that catcher uh, Adley Rutschman. He's going to be in the home run derby this year, so he'll be uh, participating for the first time. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the this is these next two games now too. Um, <coughs> the game tonight. Uh, where the Yankees will be attempting to take the series, um, and tomorrow night, where you know, hey, look, these two games are going to right now, especially when we're looking at it. Coming into tonight, the Yankees have a chance to take the series. Um, you know, so th- that's big from their perspective. This is also the chance for the Orioles to avoid, you know, l- not only losing the series but give themselves that opportunity for the split in Game Four which would mean a lot for them. I mean, these two teams are neck and neck um, from our, a record perspective. Um, you know, so, yeah, just uh, just really, really two big games in the schedule, big division games. And, Dan, as we know, division games this year mean more than uh, they do than they have in these recent years because there's less of them. So, you know, if you bury yourself in your division, it's going to be real hard to dig your way out of there because we don't have as many interdivision games, right? Yeah, exactly. Also, I do got to give a give a big shout out to T Dog, who, who I'm correct, is probably attending one of those games. I don't remember which day, but I remember hearing that he did that he was gifted tickets to one of those one of those four games around Christmas. So uh, I got to give a shout out to T Dog, and you know who I'm talking about. Talking about, talking about two dogs from Jim and Sam. I got to give a shout out to him. Wait, who's that now? T Dog Travis from Jim and Sam. I got to give a shout out to him. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. There we go. So ho- hopefully Travis had a good time. I know he's a big Orioles fan, right? Yeah, he's probably the biggest one I know. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Always, uh, always like seeing, you know, you're saying T Dog, and it just didn't click in my head, but as soon as you said it, I, I should have known that. Very funny. Very funny, man. Yeah, um, I just I just had to give give a shout out to him because because seeing cause seeing the news and stuff, the highlights the the Yankees Orioles. The first person I thought of was uh, hey wait a minute, I think Travis is at that game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Travis. Uh, shout out to the whole Jim and Sam show. Love those guys. Um, <clears throat> so uh, also uh, yeah, so we'll keep moving it along here as uh, yeah. The Yankees and O's, a couple of big divisional game showdowns. So we'll move on over to our Mets. And before you know, we get into anything, we just mentioned Adley Rutschman going to the home run derby and uh, the Yankees All Stars. Well, let's let's give a little tip of the cap to Pete Alonso. Twenty five home runs, just about sixty RBIs, even with missing that time with the uh, with the messed up wrist, thanks to um, 
who's the Atlanta pitcher that hit him again? Uh, uh, was it Charlie Charlie Morton? Charlie Morton, you're right, you're right. So, yeah, thanks for nothing, Charlie Morton. Uh, as uh, Pete uh, will be back in the uh, All Star game again. He's the only Met at the All Star game this year, unfortunately. <clears throat> you know, I guess maybe if Scherzer, if his ERA was better, he, you know, you can make a case that he could be an All Star. But, um, you know, because he's he's eight and two. He's, you know, he's got decent numbers, but I guess just not good enough. So I don't blame uh, anybody with yeah, the way the Mets have played yeah. that Pete makes sense to be the only all-star, right? Yeah, exactly. Also, since I know that they're probably going to do the same thing they did the last couple of times, Pete Alonso was in the home run derby. Remember the Mets ran that promotion, depending how paired in the home run derby, which the, the discount will be better on tickets for a certain amount of time. Hopefully yeah. Pete wins this, and that'll leave me with some. I'll get a good deal on some Mets tickets as a result of Pete winning the home run derby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So even more of a reason to root for Pete, as just for uh, you know the uh, for, for the sake of uh, bragging that he's the best power hitter in baseball. Get some cheaper tickets. On top of that, I'm definitely down with that. And um, yep, exactly. <clears throat> there was one in 2019 when he run the when he won the home run derby. That promotion, I was sitting in the, in the lower bowl of the stadium, I think somewhere in the first base line or something like that for 20 tickets. I paid for 25 bucks, what I normally pay for tickets to sit in the, in the upper deck. I'm sitting in a lower bowl for that for, for that same price because of that, because he had won the home run derby at one of the games I went to. Exactly, man. That I bought from that promotion. I bought a couple of games in that promotion. That was one of them. And I'm sitting in these lower bowl seats for what I what I would be the, the average that I pay for seats in the upper deck is around twenty five. Wow. Yeah. No, you're right, man. You're right. I, you know, you, you got to love the promotions like that. The Mets are always pretty good at running promotions like that uh, the, this time of year, <clears throat> and unfortunately, this year, especially when they're bad, because they want to get people in the building, they run promotions like that. So maybe we'll be seeing that. Uh, before the end of the year. But uh, real quick, actually, be- before we move on, that the Mets made a, a trade the other day as um, they traded this kid, um, Zach Muckenhern. They got back, um, you know, a couple of bullpen arms. I don't know, Dan, what was your immediate take from this? As they ended up, the Mets ended up getting um, Chris Flexen, who was a former Met, and uh, Trevor got in exchange for Zach Muckenherm, uh, like the pitching version of them getting Daniel Vogelback and Darren Ruff last year. Like, okay, you got two bodies in here. You didn't really give up anything for them, even though they gave up JD da- JD Davis last year, and he's on pace for 90 RBIs this year. And Daniel Vogelback stinks. So, you know, great trade. Uh, Mr. Um, Epler, but you know when when we look at this trade overall, Dan bringing in Got bringing in Flexen, I don't know what's your, what's your immediate thought because it doesn't knock my shoes off at, at all. <clears throat> I I just feel like it's a what what it is. I don't think it's anything big. They're just trying to get a bunch of bodies in the bolt and they're just throwing out everything but the kitchen sink. It feels like the rest of the year. It's 
field by him. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that trade's not gonna save anybody as far as I'm concerned. Um <clears throat> definitely not. But you know, so as we uh as we look right now, so the Mets took that series against San Francisco over the weekend at City Field. First time they had won a series since they swept the Phillies at the end of May. Uh that's a little scary. Um uh, they could clinch back to back series wins tonight for the first time, also since May, if they beat the Diamondbacks, who they beat yesterday, they had a, uh, they did a nice job yesterday beating up the Diamondbacks. Big three-run shot from uh, from Marte. Um, you know, nice victory there on the Fourth of July. Um, you know, w- what's your impressions of the Mets right now, Dan? As they stand right now, are you? I don't know how to say it. Are like, are you sitting here expecting a turnaround and expecting the Mets to rip off? a bunch of wins in a row, or are you kind of just expecting to see what we've seen all year? They play good for a couple of days and they play crappy for a couple of days and they're a 500 team, basically. Um, I'm expecting this team to win a couple, win a couple of games, games in a row. I just feel there's one little thing that's going to be the big thing that's going to be the difference between us having – the outcome we hope we, we have and not, I said it before, the bullpen is going to be the big issue. Yeah, the bullpen is definitely going to be the big issue. But you know what, though? it's uh, it, The Mets have problems up and down their team now. I mean, outside, you know, Scherzer and Verlander might not be the A++ pitchers that the Mets needed them to be so far, but they're also not killing the Mets. They might blow leads every once in a while. They're not as great as they used to be. But those two guys have been okay, especially lately. Um, it's the rest of the pitching that scares me. Like you said, you know, you mentioned the bullpen. I have zero confidence in the bullpen. If the Mets have a, a 5 nothing lead in the eighth inning, I'm still surprised if they end up winning. Um, I have no confidence in Drew Smith anymore. I have no confidence in Ad Modavino. I have very little confidence in David Robertson. Uh, And those are the Mets' three top guys now. And then they're running out other guys that you've never even heard of. Guys whose names I don't even want to repeat. Um, It's just, uh, it's really, really bad right now for the pitching for the Mets. Um, I was just reading a a column that Kevin Kernan, uh, you know, wrote the other day. One of the uh, great uh, baseball reporters out there. Kevin Kernan, also known as um, the... Um, America's most beloved sports writer. So never forget that. AMBS. Uh, Kevin Carter is a good guy, good, good, a, a, and a great writer, as a matter of fact. Um, and he was talking about how Billy Epler's inability to build a good, <clears throat> a good foundation of pitching dates back to his time in Anaheim. And you know what? As much as I did want to kind of push back on that. You can't argue it. I mean, the Mets pitching staff has completely fallen apart this year. He never did. He never built a pitching staff um, that was anywhere near, you know, decent in uh, in Anaheim. And it looks like they're finally just starting to pull themselves out of that now, as they're they've been teetering on playoff competition. I mean, I I don't know, Dan. What do you think? Do you think that a lot or most of this team's imperfections this season has to do with a bad job done by their general manager. 
I really totally agree. He just doesn't. That's the one flaw he's been able to get get pitching. I haven't seen Billy Epler really do a move that really just make a move that just turned this team around yet. And I think either way, regardless of what happens this season, he's gone. I hear rumors that Steve Cohen is eager to hire David Stern. He did the, the GM in Milwaukee. He wanted to hire him last fall season, but Milwaukee didn't let him get out of his contract. And I feel he's a David Stern is just waiting. Not 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 gonna. Doesn't have any plans to return to Milwaukee. He's waiting for Steve Cohen to give him that call saying he wants him there, and he. Next season, that's going to be our GM. Well, you know, <clears throat> it looks like everything that what you just said, though, is is pretty accurate. The only thing that I'm hearing differently is that it looks like they're not going to bring um, David Stearns in as the GM. It looks like they're going to bring David Stearns in as the uh, president of baseball operations. So... Technically, they would just be bringing David Stearns in to be Billy Epler's boss. So Billy Epler would still be here. I, I I don't see, unless things go out of control this year, which they already kind of are. But And even if they do, I, I don't see um, Steve Cohen getting rid of Billy Epler, even though he might deserve it. You know, what do you think, Dan? If you were making the call, would you just get rid of Epler altogether and just give... Yeah. The, you know that job to, to David Stearns exactly I would I would have got I would have got rid of Billy Upper yeah yeah I can't disagree with you man I mean but it looks like Cohen has him tagged right now David Stearns that is for the uh the president of baseball ops position which I wouldn't be against because I like David Stearns I think he's a good baseball mind but um and by the way, I also like Billy Epler too. I actually met Billy Epler. He's a really nice guy. He's a good guy. I have no ill will towards Billy Epler, but the fact that the fact remains that I have to be critical of the job he's done this season. And I think that you know it's it's been less than it's been less than uh, good. It's been very subpar. I was very critical of him bringing back Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelback. One of those guys is off the team already. The other guy should have been gone in April. Um, and I don't care. It, every time they stick Daniel Vogelback back in the lineup, they're like, oh, well, he's two for his last six, and he's drawn three walks. I, the guy's hitting 205 with 23 RBIs, and we're in July. Are you kidding me? I don't want to hear about Daniel Vogelback anymore. I'm sick of it. The guy stinks. He should have been gone at the end of last year. Uh the only reason they brought him back is because they still had his rights for this season. But I, I just don't get it. Daniel Vogelback and Darren Ruff should have been gone with the wind by the time 2022 ended. And bringing them back here, you know, it's just bad. It's just bad. So, you know, it's it's Caddyshack too bad. That's how bad Mets have been this year. And, um, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I'm just uh, – I'm still – kind of in shock that they're in this position right now, even though I was telling you I wasn't happy with how this team was built. And then I still stupidly went out and said they were going to win the World Series. So I deserve everything I get. I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to this team, as you are too. Um, 
you know, Dan, there is one thing I did want to talk also about. Um, <clears throat> something very, <laughs> very weird happened the other night in the Mets booth. Did I don't know if you noticed this, but Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez were chatting. And Gary Cohen was talking, was bringing up fan questions. And one of the questions that fans had was, would Keith Hernandez be willing to give up his number 17 if Shoei Otani asked for it, should Shoei Otani ever join the Mets? And he is a free agent after this year. So I guess it's kind of a relevant question. Um, Keith Hernandez did not seem too keen on the idea of giving up his his number, and I don't blame him. They, they the Mets should have retired Keith Hernandez's number twenty years ago. Now they finally just you know recognize him last year and put that number up there, and now a year later we're already talking about Hernandez taking that number off his back and giving it to another guy. I don't really like that idea. I think number seventeen should be untouched. Um, you know, what do you think about that, Dan? I uh, I fully agree, and I was furious with those comments that Marcus Stroman said. I mean, come on, it's the same guy who freaking bailed out on your team. You he bailed out on us in 2020. I haven't forgotten that. Yep, you're 100 percent right. And, and yeah, man, I mean. Just like you said, too, Marcus Stroman, uh, you know, I was going to include the, uh, the the caption of his tweets, but I couldn't find it uh, But by the time we were going on, on air here. But uh, I just, you know, I'll relay what Marcus Stroman said. So, obviously, they had this back and forth on the air, and you could just tell by the end with Keith and Gary that Keith really didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to go there, and I don't blame the guy either. Um, and then Marcus Stroman opens his stupid mouth or opens his stupid Twitter account or however you want to say it and says on there, oh, uh, you know, could, could you imagine, um, you know, not signing one of the best players in the world because some old dinosaur didn't want to give up his number? A better question I would have for Marcus Stroman is, could you imagine one of the best players in the world not signing with a team? for, by the way, probably, if not more, close to a, a half billion dollars because he couldn't wear a number on his back. I don't think that Shoei Otani is that petty. And I think much in the way that Aaron Rodgers took eight and didn't want to take number 12 from uh, from Joe Namath, I, I don't think that, you know, um, if he did come here, that Shoei Otani would want to take 17 from Keith Hernandez, especially considering that it was just retired last year, right, Dan? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure Joey will come here to New York with a new number, and he'll there'll be a huge fanfare. Like, I, I, I can only hope he would be able to live up to those expectations if he comes here, because that's going to be a big thing. If, if the Mets sign Shohei Otani this offseason, there's going to be, holy shit, there's going to be a huge pressure to live up to that, especially a guy that, like, puts up those numbers as a pitcher and a hitter. Oh, yeah. You will never see a high, much higher expectation for a free agent 
to put on this Mets uniform than you will for Shohei Otani if he if he comes to it. Uh, yeah, you I mean, the highest expectations. And oh, you said the it. Highest, the highest, you'll have the highest expectation in in free agent history with this with this team. Yeah, you're right. It's funny you say that too, because I was just gonna say, you know, it would almost be like you know all the great free agent signings that we can remember in in Mets history. You know, it would be like the it would be a combination of like when the Mets signed Pedro and signed uh Beltran, it would be like them doing it at the same time for the same player. You know, like it, it's crazy. It, it would be like signing A Rod in his prime and signing, you know, Randy Johnson in his prime. And it's the same player. So I agree with you that it would be it's gonna be the biggest free agent contract of all time. It's going to be the most scrutinized contract of all time. And it's going to be the most pressurized contract of all time, especially if he comes to New York. It's still going to be all that if he decides to stay where he is right now. And the Angels just give him a big-ass deal of half a billion or whatever the heck it ends up being. But if he comes to New York, you know, let's hope the Mets, but Mets, Yankees, whatever ends up being. If he goes to Boston, if he goes to the Dodgers, any big city like that, man, especially New York, that the pressure is going to be ratcheted up way more than he or I think anybody, uh, you know, really recognizes. And I think the pressure would be even higher signing with the Mets than it would be the Yankees. So, like the Yankees, they've won. Like there's fans, they've seen championships. This is a team with a long championship drought. They're gonna, he's going to have high expectations to be the guy that potentially uh, breaks this drought. You're, you're right, man. And in a, in a lot of ways, that would even resemble like if if the you know if Aaron Rodgers had just somehow ended up on the Giants this year, like let's just say Daniel Jones left and the Giants got Aaron Rodgers. There would still be a lot of pressure there because being the New York Giants, you know, starting quarterback is a lot. But being the Jets quarterback with that championship drought hanging over your head is so much bigger because just like you said, you know, Giants fans have seen Super Bowls before. You know, these Giant fans know what it feels like to win. Jet fans, for the most part, unless you're 70 years old, you don't know what it feels like to win for the Jets. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has a very Mets-Jets uh, or, or, you know, a very Mets-Yankees-Jets-Giants feel to it a little bit, right? Yeah, it, it, it's, almost, it's almost a high pressure. It's, it, it's similar to that with any team that's had a long championship throughout history. I, see yeah. it, I would see it in my lifetime when players signed before the Red Sox won, won the World Series in 2004. There was always a there was always a lot of high expectation for that same thing with Cubs fans before 2016. So yeah, yeah. Th- this is thing, I feel yep. like there's I feel like there's two teams that there's going to be high expectations to win because of their championship throughout history. I feel the Mets, probably Cleveland because they they're the only other team I could think of that has a, a, a long history of disappointment. Yeah, yeah, Cleveland hasn't won since 1948. You're right about that, man. And uh, yeah, so we're, uh, we're you know we're 
definitely uh, rolling right now with that. And also to, to go back to one of those players, too, that, that we were talking about, you know, a guy like Messier coming to the Rangers with that 54-year drought hanging over your head. Messier comes here. He wins that championship. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's all you could say. The, the five cups that Messier won in Edmonton don't mean anything compared to the one cup he won in New York. And uh, that, that just goes to show that's what these guys fight for, you know. That's why a guy like Aaron Rodgers would take a shot to come here and win late in his career. And maybe that's what would draw a guy like Shoei Otani to come here to end another long drought. Because believe it or not, even though it's only as, as long as I've been alive, I guess it's just a long time at this point, the Mets yeah, are in a pretty, a pretty deep drought right now, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like how could Shoyo Tani not pass up on this chance to be immortalized? I meant the fact that you he, he wins here, he'll be immortalized forever. Like this guy will never buy another have to buy another beer in New York. Oh yeah, you got if, that right. If, if, if he won the World Series if he won a World Series with the Mets, like they would be singing his praises forever. Like they will probably Name the, the 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 Japanese embassy in New York. With the, they'll they'll name that embassy the Shohei Otani Japanese <laughs> embassy. If if the Mets win a World Series in New York, they will name they will name the Japanese embassy in New York after him. If he if the, if he won a World Series with the Mets, you're right, man. I definitely could see that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you're definitely right. You're definitely right. So, uh, yeah, there's a. Uh, there definitely be a uh, lot of J- Japanese patriotism going on in uh, New York City if uh, if that would happen. So, um, you know, let's just say, uh, you know, let's just say we love Keith Hernandez. We want Shoei Otani and Marcus Stroman. You could go fuck yourself. <laughs> exactly. And and all you think they're criticizing yourself? Hope you enjoy your shitty Chicago pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You left the town with the best pizza in the country to go to a town with imposter pizza. So, thank you very much. That's all we need to know about you. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Now let's uh, let's keep it moving along here right now, as uh, we do have some interesting news to get into uh, in the NHL, as uh, our New York Rangers man. Very, very little cap room. I mean, we've gone into this knowing that the Rangers had about $12 million or so to spend on about nine players. Because remember, the Rangers had to give new contracts to a few of their guys. They had to, um, you know, bring back, uh, you know, Alexi Lafreniere. They had to bring back um, Keandre Miller, who both they still haven't uh, – done that yet but also you know they they lost guys like patrick kane to free agency they lost guys like um you know uh vladimir tarasenko is going to be gone tyler mott is most likely not coming back now and the reason why we know that a lot of those guys i just mentioned aren't coming back is because the rangers went out and and added a whole bunch of guys um i was really really shocked at the amount of guys they brought in but you know you got to tip your cat to Chris Drury, who really managed to uh, sign all these guys. I mean, when you look at this right now, let's take a look. Um, 
So they signed Blake Wheeler to a uh, one-year contract, Tyler Pitlick, Riley Nash. Um, you know, they, they went out there and signed Mac Hollowell. Uh, they, they went out and signed a bunch of guys. They also, um, you know, there was a couple of defensemen that the Rangers had their eye on. Um, one of the guys that they ended up um, landing on is a uh, Gustafsson. So they ended up bringing him in to be probably the third pair. But what all these guys that I just named too, Pitlick, Nash, um, Blake Wheeler, Gustafsson, they also signed Jonathan Quick, one of the greatest American goaltenders of all time, who we, you know, have a checkered pass with because of his victory over the Rangers in the 2014 Stanley Cup final. But this is a guy from Millbury, Connecticut, who grew up rooting for the Rangers, loved the 94 team, and wanted to finish up here uh, now that it was, you know, impossible for him to finish up in um, in L.A. And I got to say, I like these moves. They might not be the greatest moves, but let's just – every one of those guys they just signed, signed for the veterans minimum, 800000 and uh, has themselves in line to get three hundred thousand worth of um, incentives should they hit certain watermarks in the season for playing time and points and things along those lines. So you got to tip your cap to those guys. Um, and I'm I'm just pumped up, man. I mean, see, seeing all these guys they brought in, who by the way, like I said, look out for Gustafsson. I think that guy is going to run up and snatch that fifth defenseman spot on that third pair. But uh, what do you think, Dan? How? What was your reaction when the Rangers were announcing all these signings? Well, I knew that Tarasio and Kane weren't coming back, so I knew they had to make these moves, and they did a great job. All that's left now is potentially to re-sign Lafreniere and uh, and uh, and uh, and a Keandre Miller. Because I, I have a feeling that they, if they don't resign a Lafreniere, that one's going to bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right, man. I mean, I think they're going to get both those guys done. Um, it just, you know, it's going to depend on price point. It's going to be a lot tougher with Keandre because Keandre can demand anywhere from, I mean, four to maybe even close to five million, maybe even over five million if they really want to push it. Um, so that's going to really hurt. The Rangers really have to get him on a bridge deal. Because the, the thing is, the cap is going to jet up next year. So I think that's a big reason, too, why we're seeing a lot of these veterans sign for the league minimum, especially with the Rangers now, because they want to give themselves to get that playing time. They want to give themselves that chance to win a cup. But what they also want to give themselves is a chance to only have that one-year deal and maybe cash in off a good year next year, because the cap is going to jettison up about $5 million next year. So, like, right now we're looking at a $82.5 million salary cap in the NHL. That's probably going to go up to at least 87.5, maybe even 88 next year. And that's going to give a lot of these teams, including the Rangers, a lot of breathing room, which they need. The cap, so many teams are, are cap crunch. You know, we just saw the Islanders, you know, take Josh Bailey, who is a good player, you know, I know a lot of Islander Islander fans are sick of Josh Bailey, and I understand that. 
but Josh Bailey is a good player that has that has a winning track record that play, has played well in the postseason. So to take him and whatever his salary was between five and six million, and to dump him on the Chicago Blackhawks and include a second round pick just to get rid of him shows how these cap strapped teams, um, you know, like the Islanders, like other teams in our division, like the Rangers, but luckily we haven't had to, um, you know, shed salary like that yet. But a lot of people were saying the Rangers might have to do that with, with Barclay Goodrow. It looks like that's not going to be the case. So, you know, I would say right now, Dan, that I think Chris Drury has the Rangers in pretty good um, position right now. You know, I, I think especially Blake Wheeler. I mean, Blake Wheeler is a guy that played in 72 games last year and still had 55 points. So the Rangers can still get a lot of production out of these guys. You know what I mean? Exactly. We're, we're going to, I feel like we're going to have another epic season. It's, it's going to be a fun ride. Hopefully it's going to be a, it'll end in a, in a, in a Stanley cup parade. Yeah, man. And for, for it to get there though, the Rangers are really going to need to see Peter Laviolette get the best out of Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco and Filipino to a lesser extent. But I think the two keys to this season are Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco and seeing how Peter Lafayette uses them, you know? Exactly. It's gonna be the it's gonna be a huge pressure year year one. And uh good luck and I'm, I'm excited to see how this season plays out. Yeah. Yeah, me too, man. I mean, uh, you know, we uh they they showed the um the NHL draft last year and one thing I do have to say is that the guy the Rangers were able to draft, this guy Gabe Perot, who fell um, from a potential top 10 pick to being uh, for the Rangers to snag him at number 23. And I got to say, man, this I follow the NHL draft every year. That's right. I'm a, a draft dork. I, I like following that kind of stuff. I like seeing where these players go. Um, you know, even if I'm not very familiar with them, I, I just like the whole process, seeing how things play out. I got And I also like seeing the fan reaction to it. You know, when the Rangers in 2017 drafted Elias Anderson, I had no idea who Elias Anderson was. But just based off how the Rangers fans reacted, I said to myself, you know, I have high hopes for this kid, but I'm a little worried. Every Rangers fan I, I see seems pretty upset about this pick. And it was the same thing with Vitaly Kravstov. But then we saw the complete opposite in 2020 when the Rangers got Alexi Lafreniere. That was everybody saying to themselves, oh, we got to get this kid. This is the guy. So you kind of see it go both ways. This pick, this Gabe Perot pick that I saw – Aside from Lafreniere, who was the consensus number one overall pick, and everybody's going to agree on that anyway, I have not seen in my time watching Rangers fans talk about the draft picks. I have not seen more people join together saying that this was a great pick than this season for Gabe Perot. This is a guy who gets high marks wherever he is. He just had a really good camp. They just wrapped up rookie camp today, actually. 
at Madison Square Garden. And uh, he looked really good. He had a couple of really nice snipes. Um, I'm excited for this kid, man. Have you heard anything about Gabe Perot yet? I've heard about them. We got a steal of a pick. And I cannot wait to see this guy hit the ice in the garden this year. Yeah, man. And I mean, just we, we have to remember, too, that the Rangers, this is not the only kid they got coming up, too. Let's not forget Brendan Othman, who the Rangers selected um, two years ago. He was the number one pick in 2021, the, the Rangers team number one, not the overall number one. Uh, but, you know, this guy, uh, you know, Brendan Othman is going to be pushing to get on the roster, man. Also, Will Cooley, who's the guy the Rangers got for the aforementioned Elias Anderson. They traded him. Cooley now is a guy that's really breaking, uh, you know, and making a name for himself, trying to break through and get on this roster. So two guys that really could make an impact next year. Brandon Othman and Will Cooley are trying to make a, a break for it, but you could add Gabe Perot to that list of guys like those two who at one point or another over the next couple of seasons are going to be making a major impact on this Rangers team. Right, Dan? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked. I'm stoked for this hockey season. And even to the point that, like I said, you might have to set up a Patreon because me and Robert Kramer, we want to be at that outdoor game in the, in the Meadowlands in the February. <laughs> yeah, man, you got that right. We'll be, uh, we'll definitely be at that game one way or another, no doubt about it. So we'll, we'll keep that one on our list right now. And um, yeah, as, uh, as you know, we're, we're just about ready to get out of here, Dan, a couple of minutes left. One thing before we move on for the Rangers though, I, I did want to ask you a question. You know, we mentioned Jonathan Quick signing with the Rangers. I was thrilled with that because, to be completely honest, I was not happy at all with Halak last year as the backup. I thought Halak, <clears throat> he, he really, I, I'll give him credit that he came on at the end of the year, but I was not happy with him for most of the year as the backup. Um, <coughs> I thought he gave up a lot of soft goals, but – I was really happy with the addition of Quick. What did you think about that? Yeah, I'm excited about that. We've got probably – we might have the best backup goalie in hockey this, this, this year. Like, we got we got a goalie number one, and we got a 1A. That's what I feel like we got. We got the best one-two goalie tandem in, in hockey this, potentially this season. It's true. You know what? And I think – that if Jonathan Quick has this reduced, you know, I it reminds me a lot of uh, Martin Buron. If you remember when um, the Rangers were really coming together into a topper, a, a, a top upper echelon team uh, under John Tortorella, they brought in Martin Buron as Henrik Lundqvist's backup. Now Martin Buron may not have had the success that Jonathan Quick has had, but he was an established backup goaltender, or, or, you know, I'm sorry, he was an established starting goalie that had played for years and years and years in the league, and now was coming to the Rangers late in his career, and I think he really benefited from um, not only the uh, spectacular goaltending coach of Benoit Allaire, um, 
and not only from the Rangers playing a great defensive style of hockey, but I think he also benefited from a lightened workload, you know, where you didn't have to worry about being like Henrik Lundqvist and starting three or four games a week and getting beat up. No, you only had to know that if there were any back-to-backs or you pretty much only had to be ready to go at least once a week, maybe, you know, twice in a week and a half, depending what the, uh, you know, what the schedule brings you. So I think a, a, a lightened workload like that could really help a guy like Jonathan Quick. Do you agree? Yeah, exactly. And uh, he'll, it, hopefully he'll get a nice little send-off to his uh, his career. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, he did. I, I can play. I, I haven't seen this great of a one-two goalie tandem since that, uh, since maybe 2012 when we had Lundqvist and uh, Buran and uh, those uh, and that's uh, one. And a uh, twenty and a uh, two thousand fifteen one quiz in the Camp Albert. This is probably the best one two goalie tandem I've seen in a long time. That's true. Yeah, Cam Talbot was a hell of a goalie when he was here. He's uh he's still playing in the league too. I just saw he signed with somebody else. I forget where. But uh, good luck to Cam Talbot. I always liked him. He was a great goalie. Nice backup. Yeah. But, um, and he's had a he's, that, he's had a nice. What's that? What's that? I have to say, he kind of had a nice goalie mask there. I like. I like that little nice little tribute he had. He had the Ghostbusters logo because apparently he said that was his favorite because he was playing in New York and that was his favorite movie filmed in New York and a, and a good choice, mind you. Ghostbusters is one of my favorites since I was a kid. So it was a nice little goalie mask design. Absolutely, man. Gotta love uh, Cam Talbot, one of the uh, great Ranger backup goalies over the years. So uh, shout out to Cam. Uh, shout out to Martin Buran, too. Always loved him as a backup goalie. And uh, just for the hell of it, shout out to Steve Valquet too. Uh, you know, another great Ranger backup goalie. So um, with that, we'll uh, yep, be one backup goalie. And of course, of course, you got to acknowledge Valquet's a nice job doing the pre and post teams on MSG Network and Ranger Absolutely, I I love all the stuff that that Valquet adds to that broadcast, man. I mean, he he gives uh, you know a lot of great stats, a lot of great knowledge from a guy that's been in you know the net in the nhl before so you know few guys would know better than him so uh yeah definitely love valley there <clears throat> you know working with uh john Giannone and the boys over there at msg so i think dan that's just about going to do it for us this week uh b- before we get out of here do you have anything you'd like to plug for yourself sure sure i gotta plug my tip my twitter handle global one zero cnyc youtube daniel curlin instagram Bobo718DK. Absolutely. So do yourself a favor and follow Dan there. Check out all of his stuff. And if you want to follow us, you can check us out on Sith underscore podcast on Twitter. You can check me out at my last name, Kramer NY on Twitter. And you can check us out on Instagram at Best Seat in the House Podcast. Also, if you like us, uh, don't forget to uh, give us a five-star rating on Apple on Apple iTunes. And, uh, you know, subscribe and give us a like on YouTube. Don't forget Rumble as well. We are on Rumble as well. So we appreciate all the support from all the different various places you can consume our podcast. So thank you once again. We had a, a, a really nice uptick in viewers last week. So thank you once again, everybody, for tuning into our show. We appreciate it. And as always, we'll be back next week. So I'm your host, Rob Kramer, with my co-host, Daniel Bobo Curlin. And until next week... 
This is the Best Seat in the House podcast.